And now joining us on After the Last Dance, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, a two-time Hall of Famer, one for a team and one for his own play, a man that puts the C in run TMC, <laughs> that is Chris Mullen. Chris Mullen, welcome to the program. We're very excited today to have you on. Pleasure to be here, man. Uh, always great to see my good friend BJ Armstrong. Looking the same as he always has. Oh, stop it, Bully. This is this is my guy. It, there's no one knows this is my guy. This is I refer to him as Paulie. And I don't care wherever I'm at, you know, whenever I see my guy, Brooklyn's finest. And uh Chris, thanks again for taking the time and uh welcome to the show. My pleasure, man. It's great to be with you. Yeah, and we have to point out before we got on this program, I mean, obviously we're gonna talk about the last dance, Chris. We're gonna talk about the dream team. We'll talk about, you know, nineteen ninety eight, you were on the Pacers, the team that faced Jordan there in the Eastern Conference Finals. But first, B.J. Armstrong, he, he's been digging around his office for the past few weeks. Uh, you know, he's just been finding all types of things. And what he found was a scouting report for the great Chris Mullen. And, and I know he's very excited to share it with the, with, with the people listening right now. So, B.J., w- w- would you please tell Chris Mullen what the scouting report was on Chris Mullen? Back well, oh, we got to have a backstory first. First, <laughs> is it okay with my friend Paulie to read the scouting report? of This scouting report, I just ran across it from 1990. One, one sixteen, uh, nineteen ninety, and it was written by someone we both played for, mm-hmm. the great, late great John Bach, and I was reading about it. I was reading it, and I just thought about like it just made me laugh as I was reading about it. So, if it's with your permission, I would love to read it just to get your thoughts and just kind of laugh about Chris Mullen in nineteen ninety from uh, from the other locker room. <laughs> And look, it shows you what a true student B.J. Armstrong is. Like myself, I've got stuff in my garage from college sitting around there just in case for days like this. So, B.J., you brought up the great John Bach. Oh, there That's it. That's the day I signed my contract. Molly, hold on. Hold that up again. I just want to see Chris with, with all the hair. Look at that. Ooh. You got your suit on. Ooh. Is that 19, what, 85? Is 1985. That- yeah. So... Back then, we didn't have a rookie salary scale, so I, I held out. Got to a boy, Mully. That a boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, missed training camp. That was like the sixth game in the season. Me and Coach Bach had lunch. I signed my contract. I played that night. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? That was the NBA back then. <laughs> that was the NBA. Oh, so, so BJ. Okay, here it is. Okay, Chris Mullen, six seven. 220 220 Ooh. that's that's a that's a nice size player in 1990 that's a, you were hey you were a big guard you were a big guard it says left-hander uses up fakes extremely well excellent court sense can be a fine passer if he chooses in the open court <laughs> is that accurate chris is that accurate uh, he can play from either position out or in, mm. he posts up and he can drive to the basket and he prefers to go left. He follows his own shots very well and he's a good garbage man around the basket. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, a fine left-handed jump shooter either way off the shot or the pass, spots up well, and plays great in transition will leak out for long outlets or seeks passes and changes direction 
very well. He can drive, he finishes shots well, mm -hmm. and he utilizes his body for protection. He defends <laughs> the three-man much better than the twos, and then there's a question mark. <laughs> okay? But you must, rem you must remember he looks for steals, plays in the passing lanes, will rebound and push it out, and will attack players in the outlets. One thing that's interesting about Chris, he's unorthodox and he plays defense from behind. Watch him when he's guarding the ball. <laughs> this team is a help defense team. They trap and they will hide their, they will hide defensive players, which we call a false defense. He spots up well, shoots well, shoots well in transition. He looks, he looks strong, but he will look to bump you off if you are not solid on the defensive end. Watch, watch him as he will release on shots taken out of the corner. I remember that about, I remember that about Mully. Don't underestimate his ability to post up. He will take advantage and will do it until he's stopped. We want to attack him on the perimeter, but do not underestimate his ability. <laughs> he is a true playmaker, a player, and we have to keep him on his heels on the defensive end. Hey, man. That's not bad. That's a pretty good player. Considering, you know, when I played for John Bach, we had a horrible team here. <laughs> right. He won 20 games that year. And then, then he went on to, to work with Phil. Um, and that's pretty accurate, man. Uh, Molly, I mean, the playing from behind, that was one of the most unique things about you. How did you learn that, Chris? Like, you would, like, you would think you're around you, and then you would sneak around you and get the ball or flick it well, away. I think a lot, BJ, was if, you, if I played close up, people were going to beat me. But then it was kind of pursuing from behind. You know, it wasn't really by design. I wish I could have kept guys in front of me. They would <laughs> <laughs> get by you, you, what's the next best thing to do? And then Nelly, actually, that was a, a philosophy back then, was to contest the corner three. Yes. And take off. Yeah, yes, yes. You're not going to get that rebound anyway. Right. We kind of worked on that. And we were taught, too, once you rebound, that guy was taken off to try and throw ahead. So that, that was a philosophical thing. And, you know, back then, we talked about this yesterday. Right. West Coast, we tried to get the tempo going. You know, we, Nelly was not afraid to, you know, give up some baskets to get the game going. Right. Right. You know? Right. So um, I might have took it to extreme. <laughs> you know, I might have. That's Folly. Folly took over. Hey, hey, Chris, you know, just to jump around a little bit. In 1992, and we kind of want to dive into it. You were first team All NBA. I mean, mm -hmm. you were you you were playing, you know, amazing basketball. You had like a four or five year stretch where you were first, second, third team. Talk about Chris that year that you were first team All NBA. Well, I mean, it goes back, BJ, to really making changes in my life. So. Um, for the young people that don't know, in 1987, 87 in, in uh, December, I, I checked into hospital for alcohol addiction. Um, first and foremost, to get my life together, right? Right. But it really showed itself publicly on the basketball court. I rededicated myself to training, 
Uh, you know, Mark Grabo, a good friend mm -hmm. of mine. Yep. Really committed myself to, to uh, get myself in the best possible shape. So that the end of that year, I came out in January. I played the last 20 games. Uh, Nelly was the GM, kind of just came in, started coaching. He was really trying to figure out who he's going to keep, who's going to get rid of. I finished the last 20 games, you know, playing really good offensive basketball. You know, I had a good little spurt. That summer worked my tail off, found my, my passion back. So those next four or five years, I played at a really high level and really was just dedicated to the game 100%. Found my, my passion on my love. Tim and Mitch came in. We got a new roster. Everything was just, you know, just picture perfect, you know. Um, so timing was perfect for that dream team selection because I was mm -hmm. playing love at the right time. And, and, you know, international play is a, a huge emphasis on outside shooting. Mm -hmm. All those things came into play, but – and I was with the right system. You know, Nelly came in, moved me to small forward. We played small ball back before a lot of teams were doing it. So me, Mitch, and Tim dominated the ball. We played in transition. Right. Played one, three pick and rolls, two, three pick and rolls. We would invert, have the bigs play it out on the perimeter. <laughs> All those things John Box said. <laughs> Back then, it was, uh, what do you say, it's a gimmick or, or <laughs> whatever. Back then, teams that we played once or twice a year, that was a tough game for a guy, for a team like you guys to play against. You didn't play against a lot of teams like us. Right, right. It was the most fun I had, um, the most success I had for a five-year stretch. And like I said, the timing, the timing of it was perfect. You know, mm -hmm. you know like before the Dream Team, um, NBA players were not eligible to play. So if your year didn't fall in Olympic year as a college player, you just got passed over. Mm -hmm. yep. I was fortunate enough in 84 to be a junior. Again, fortunate timing to play in the 84 Olympics. A lot of great, great players just because of their birthdays <laughs> always died on Olympic year. That was yep. a lot of fortunate timing. And, and Mullen, you mentioned the 84 Olympics that was in Los Angeles with Jordan. And, and we've seen the clips Bob Knight says there that he thinks that Michael Jordan is the best basketball player on the planet. And then in 1992, you were a first team all NBA. You're on a list with, you know, Carl Malone, David Robinson, Clyde Drexler, and basically Michael Jordan. All, all he wants to do is prove that he's the best player in the world. So you're on the hit list going into, you know, you know, going into the Barcelona games. So seeing that and obviously being there for all that and seeing Michael grow there, did you expect him to be, you know, in Barcelona to send a message to everyone? Or was it more just... We're all just playing basketball. We're having a good time. And, oh, yeah, Michael wants to take the last shot. And, yes, he is the best player in the world now. <laughs> no, and BJ can, can talk more in detail. So mm -hmm. my experience with Michael go pre-college, you know, yep. back in 1981, we came out of high school together. Right. Uh, we played in the McDonald's All-American game together. Yep. Um, Patrick Ewing, Bill Wennington. There's a lot of Adrian Branch, a lot of great players um, from that game. But that was the first time Michael, I mean, he had, I think he had 30 points in the game, was out just running and dunking, just doing NBA type stuff in that game, stuck out as the best player. Um, and then I played against him my sophomore year, St. John's, we played North Carolina. And our junior year, we played against each other as well at the yeah. Garden. So I watched him, um, but from that game in Wichita, the McDonald's game, to the games against him in Carolina, to the tryouts for the Pan Am team, uh, the World University team, the yeah. Olympics, he always had an incredible, intense approach. No matter what, 
Was it an exhibition game? It was a one-on-one -on -one competition, a shooting competition. And I said this yesterday, BJ, and I don't know if you – it always seemed like if he was involved in it, <laughs> it was the only thing going on, it was the most important thing going on. Right, right. So. Intensity to every single drill, um, like defensive drills, uh, running length, you know, running sprints at the end of practice. So it wasn't – that wasn't unusual for me to see – what was unusual was this gifted, incredible, athletic, fundamentally sound was also the hardest working, most disciplined player. And, and that's, that's how you get a Michael Jordan. All those things combined, high IQ, studied the game, was taught very well. He was a very fundamental, incredibly smart basketball player. Just happened to have incredible athletic, all those other things combined, you know, makes him, you know, the greatest. You know, Chris, one of the things I, I've, you and I have talked a lot about basketball, but it's one of the things I always wanted to ask you or someone else in that room. Do you remember the very first speech that Coach Chuck Daly, when he addressed the entire team? Chuck Daly was always one of my favorite people that I've met throughout this basketball. Do you remember the very first speech or the first time that you were in the room with all 12 of the players and the coaching staff when you guys met as a, as a group? You know what, BJ? I, I don't remember the, the, the single moment. And I think probably in a way by design, Chuck, <laughs> Chuck had a really unique way of making everything not, somewhat matter of fact and not, right. too big, not too big of a moment. Uh, he reminded me a lot of my college coach. He had, he had a lot of good sayings and slogans that you had to kind of think about. <laughs> right. Under, understated a lot. Mm -hmm. He understated his importance. He was very humble. Right. I think he just, he, he treated everybody, you know, he had certain rules. Everyone got treated differently, but you, you felt important. Everyone had yes. the same importance to him. He had a really cool, I got a book by Chuck Daly called Daly Inspirations. It, it's mm -hmm. Pat Williams, mm -hmm. a lot of things he talks about is not making too too much of anything. You know, keep, yes. keep the day moving. Don't call another meeting, right? <laughs> every bus trip, every shoot around, every time out, mm -hmm. all meetings. Uh, right. <laughs> Don't call another meeting. Come on, man. <laughs> have something to say, say it, and you have plenty of time with each other. So I don't remember the first thing he said. I just remember him being incredibly consistent and just cool, man. Like, you wanted to do anything for that guy. Yeah, yeah, no, he was he, for sure. And then, Molly, I have to ask you, because I've spoken to both Michael and Scotty. I remember when they got back, and they would talk about the practice, and they touched on it in the, in the doc. And I know you are a basketball man. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you, you will play basketball 24 hours. What was that practice really like for you and for the team, the one that they show the infamous Monte Carlo for Michael yeah. and Magic? Because it was funny to me <laughs> watching it. And, and, and you, we all know Magic and all of the characters that was there. But what was it like for you? Because I'm sure you were just laughing <laughs> as you're seeing all of this. <laughs> well, it, was, it was like, you know, that you're in a movie with uh... – <laughs> Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, <laughs> just an extra. But it's really important you do your job because you're going to mess the movie up. <laughs> so 
it, it, it's not as, as a, a scrimmage to get sharp, right? We didn't play well the night before, and Chuck wanted to get get a shot before we traveled to Barcelona. That was the that was the uh, general idea, but it became Michael and Magic just going at it physically, verbally, and it was really the official passing of the torch to Michael. Now Michael took it. <laughs> Magic was very reluctant to give that up, and my guy Larry was like. Dude, this is Benno. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, I can only imagine you and Larry. I bet you and Larry were just laughing. <laughs> They're going at it. And there's one clip. Because Larry had a bad back at the time. He was playing and, you know, we were hanging out a lot. And he, I mean, he was sitting on the side, right? One of these uh, breaks where they're just jawing and Chuck's kind of letting it go. I look over at Larry. Larry's like, the official passing of the torch but it was all those and bj you know better anybody michael when he practiced man that was his preparation (laughs) he played the same way (laughs) i know it wasn't he didn't pace himself i know i know it's it was really it was really amazing thing he would play in the game but i always said i wish i had his practices on tape because he was a phenomenal practice player. So I'm getting calls from my buddies in New York, right? <laughs> and they're saying, I remember you came back from, not even the Olympics, from the Pan Am games. And you're like, dude, you're not gonna believe this guy I saw. <laughs> incredible. And he goes, got one, one of my buddies going, you were saying, we've seen everybody. Cause we're from, <laughs> we've seen everybody. Never seen nothing like this. Dude. <laughs> I was like 1983, you know? They're like, dude, you're saying it. I said, yeah, cause he was killing me. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That was a great. And the other thing that's cool, too, is, so you know, all those, you know, our guys, our kids' ages, right? They're actually right. so LeBron, Kobe. Mm-hmm. But I've gotten calls, too, where they're going, man, all the stuff you said is legit, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I was making it up, you know what I mean? But now they're now they're- I know. Wow. You know him? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That is funny. Uh, Molly, we have to ask you too because, like, the next part of this doc, we, as we get into it, it's obviously about 1998, and that's the year you're on the Pacers. You mentioned Larry Bird. Larry Bird is the coach of that team. Um, I, I spoke to Mark Pope a few weeks ago, and he said he told the story in Game Seven. He said, you know, Larry Bird started crying before you guys went out to go face the Bulls in that game. It was a heavy moment. So, can you just walk us through just being on that Pacers team, that point of your career, and just obviously playing that Bulls team in that moment? Yeah. So you know. That, that was a great three-year run. Mm-hmm. I had two Eastern Conference Finals and NBA Finals. Yep. And Larry, you know, look, Larry had never coached before, um, had total command, knew exactly what he wanted done. He had two great assistants. Rick Carlisle hand the, handled the offense. Dick Carter handled the defense. Uh, and Larry oversaw everything. But Larry mm-hmm. always knew exactly what he wanted, what play he wanted to run. Um, who he won the shots going to, you know, he always appreciated the way he empowered his staff. He was letting those guys do their job and we had great success and he was straight to the point, man. No, we curse on here. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> no bullshit. Mm-hmm. We don't have any time for bullshit. Man. He would give us a scouting report. And from the start, he said, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do anything. I didn't like done to me as a player. So we're not going to watch too much film. 
We're not going to overpractice. We're going to do what we need to do to win ball games. Mm-hmm. And he always focused from day one, the first day of training camp, and this was from his great success as a player with the Celtics, was getting home court. He always mm-hmm. emphasized that. And I had never really – I was never in that position – uh, on a team that starting the season, you were talking about going deep into the playoffs. We were trying to make the playoffs all the time. Mm-hmm. Harry's focus from day one, every single game matters to get that home court advantage. Mm-hmm. That was always a big emphasis, which is a big change for me. And then his consistency. He was like, just like a player, man. He has routines. He was very serious about shoot arounds, very serious about practice. And then come game time, man, he wanted the players to go play. So he did not deviate from that. It was a very old school approach. Uh, not a whole lot of rule. He wanted everyone on time, you know, you know, play the right way, play hard, play unselfish, and man, go do your thing. And look, DJ, you know, he was, you know, him and Magic were the guys we looked up to. Right, right, right. I played with him in the in the Olympics in the dream team, but he's still he's still Larry Bird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 that's that's Tweety. That's Tweety, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting and you you know I lived out here. I mean, I was yeah. living at night. <laughs> but I couldn't turn down Larry Bird. <laughs> I just wish he was coaching New York or L.A. <laughs> but he had that power to get me to go to Indiana. Yeah, yes, he did. Yes, he did. I mean, Mully, you guys were – was it – I want to make sure I got it right. 97 did you take into Game 7 or was that 98? 98. 98. Mm-hmm. So, Mully, I mean, you guys were right there. All right. I think, you know, you guys felt good about it. Um, if I remember correctly, the Bulls had the home court advantage, though, yes. right? They're on the road. What was, Mully, the the mindset going into a game seven, knowing you're playing against the best of the best, you're playing against a great team, you guys were, you had great talent, you guys were right there, and if I remember, you guys kind of jumped off early. You mm-hmm. jumped off early. So yeah, that, what was the mindset of that game? Yeah, so, so Larry is, again, I, getting back to his approach, um, just the consistency. You know, Larry's one of those guys, and BJ, you know, most coaches, when you win a game, man, they just like, thank God, let's move on. And when you get pissed. Larry was one of those guys, truly, if we won a game and didn't play well, he would say, man, we played like shit today, man. We didn't deserve to win that game. And on the flip side, there's games where we played really well and got beat. He was like, he would watch the game and call for what it was. He wasn't one of those guys. He was really so transparent. So his consistency led up to, dude, and he played in many game sevens, but we trained for that. That's what we trained for. We were, mm-hmm. it was our goal. Let's get these guys. Now game seven on the road, you know damn well, you got to play a little bit better than, than usual. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think because that game was on recent, I had popped it on here and there. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched a good majority of it. I think we got up like twenty to seven, which which is nothing, but it was a it was a low scoring game. Yes, yeah. that's, that's a thirteen yeah. points. Thirteen points. Yes, yes. It wound yes. up being like 88, 83 or some some a very low scoring game. But you know, BJ Ben, anybody in those seven game series, man, baskets become hard to come by, man. Yeah, yes. Everything's yeah. taken away. I, mean, I think even Mike, Mike, I think missed nine shots in a row at one point during that game. Right, mm-hmm. right. Physical battles, and they wound up getting a few loose balls, getting a few steals, and uh, and you know, and I said I, I don't even know this, but Phil Jackson in general wanted to always take that one guy out that made things go. That was Mark. So he put Scotty on Mark, and and you know, Scotty, man, if you just told him to go get someone, it was over. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was a Doberman, you know that. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. 
Yep, yep. No, he was going to attack the the your your initiator, your ball handler, and that and Mark was. I mean, Mark was phenomenal at that. And that, that's how that's how me and Reggie got shots. That's how yes. Reggie got shots. So so basically, Scotty just really, you know, very disruptive to the game. I mean, he was very yeah. disruptive. And was that ninety eight? A little more physicality in the backcourt. So. <laughs> <laughs> just a just a little bit, but well, like sometimes I look at those games and I go. How in the hell did I get through this? Like, you just watch the fouls. And I mean, I was, you know, you were big. I was like 170 pounds, 180 pounds soaking wet. And, you know, I just don't even know. I mean, I mean, you would hit people and the referee, I can remember you go through the, you cut through the lane, the referees be like, hey, BJ, you better watch out tonight. Like Rick Horn and those guys. It was like, that's the way the game was played though. I remember even when I was in college, on defense, anyone through the lane, like a UCLA cut, it was called the pro bump. Give them a pro bump. <laughs> yeah. you know, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> you go through the lane, that's what you get. Bang, bang. <laughs> when you get to the pros, it's more than a pro bump. <laughs> yeah, it's like, just, you know, you get hit and it's a pinball machine. I know. Last night I was sitting with, with my son and he was looking up some, uh, you know, some old NBA. I said, dude, pull up. Like I was telling him about these fights. Right. <laughs> they think the only fight I ever had was in the palace, right? <laughs> Pull up Daryl Dawkins and Maurice Lucas. Pull up Bird and Dr. J. Man, you guys are crazy. <laughs> no one got thrown out. Funny. <laughs> that's the funny part about it. it. Was like, okay, you know, a couple of fouls, and then let's go play. <laughs> Six five zero. Turning around and sock Jerry Seasting. Tommy Heinsohn goes, Ralph Sampson, a little over-enthusiastic there. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Hey, man. I know. It was enthusiastic. I know. I know. Oh, that's awesome. Bully, uh, before we let you get out of here, I would be remiss if I didn't ask. I'm from North Carolina, and uh, I'm a big fan of Gastonia, North Carolina natives. James Worley's one of those guys. Another one of those guys you played with right when you came to the Warriors in 1985. That's Sleepy Floyd. Uh, and I've heard many of Sleepy Floyd stories, but what was it like when you came to that Warriors team and just in that Golden State environment? It, it, did, did Sleepy Floyd live up to the name? Was he asleep all the time? Because I always heard from my great uncle, him playing baseball, he would be asleep in the outfield all the time. And, uh, and, and he's a great guy. Hey, I'd say he wasn't asleep when he got 29 in the fourth quarter against the Lakers. Oh, there you go. Man, there you go. <laughs> I think it was more his, his eyes or something, man. Cause he, he, <laughs> he, he was, he was a combo guard before there was combo guard. Yep. He wasn't a point. He wasn't necessarily two, but he was. He could score, dude. And, you know, playing at Georgetown, they yep. took Carolina to the finals. Um, but Sleepy's a great guy, man. He's, he's a really, really good player. But, again, I think at that point in time, you know, if you played like that, you didn't have a position. Yep. He was locked into putting you as a point guard, you know, a, a two guard, a small forward. Sleepy in this day and age would be perfect, mm -hmm. you know, more just just a, just a scoring guard. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a good guy, man. Low key, easy going, and uh, you know he helped put the Big East on the map. You know he really did. He was a big time college player. Think about that though. That little town. You're, you're from Gastonia? No, I'm from Henderson, North Carolina, but uh, you know, oh. just small town, very similar. Yeah. I mean, him and James Worthy, man. Yeah. 
It there, yeah. It's a it's it's a very it's a fun question. My dad, I told him I was had him on. He's like, ask Mullen about Sleepy. He's like, just you got to ask him about Sleepy. So I was like, I'll be sure to do that. Uh, his his resume speaks for itself. Man. He was a big time player, man. He's he's great. Yep, absolutely. Uh, well, we appreciate you coming on, Chris. We appreciate you sharing stories. Uh, obviously, the last dance will continue. Uh, you, your your legend continues to grow. We want to ha- we want to have you back on the show. We want you to share more stories. I'm with BJ for sure. Oh, no, Molly. Hey, thank you so much. We have so many stories to tell. I, I just one of my favorite stories at the time. I don't know if you remember. Well, I know you remember this. I come out of the locker room and your kids are on the top of your car. <laughs> and you're, <laughs> your your boys are on the top of your car with your wife and uh hey it's great look like you're doing terrific i know yes. you got a new hobby now and uh you're you're always doing something i know you're working out doing something during this time so uh, hey tell me i just want to wish everyone all you guys especially your family and, and friends but everyone out there man just stay safe stay healthy stay home let's not get cocky you know what i mean yeah, yeah. absolutely the game plan stick to the scout report like john back scout report on me yeah 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 you, you got it man you you be good you tell everyone hello love. yeah so much. we won't leak out we will do that hey man love you thank you again for coming on and you are welcome anytime to have laughs that's all we do here is we just laugh have a good time here <laughs> and uh, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing the stories my pleasure bj the classiest guy i ever played with man oh man you are the classiest guy you're the best <laughs> thanks right. okay yeah.